When I was a kid growing up in the Midwest, I wanted to direct motion pictures. I wanted to be both the writer and the director, but I had no clue how to get from my humble home to Hollywood. I did get a film degree in college, along with an English degree, but after college, well, knowing how the sausage was made, I wasn't keen on going to Hollywood anymore. I went to San Francisco instead. I wrote and I published, and I eventually became senior editor at ZDNet, then CNET. I was really fortunate to land the security beat right away, quite by accident. My first day at ZDNet, there was a major virus blowing up, and my editor turned to me and she asked if I could do a story on that. I said, sure, then realized I didn't know the first thing about computer viruses. So I learned. I went to Black Hat. I went to several smaller conferences over the years and built up a network of friends. I wrote two books, one on IoT security and another with Kevin Mitnick. And then I jumped around for a couple different jobs in the security field. Now I'm hosting a podcast. I suppose that as a white male, I was privileged. And I am. I know that. I can dream about being anything I want because there are white males already as role models in those positions. Or what if you're a person of color? What if you're a woman in information security today? In a moment, I'll introduce you to someone who faced and overcame a lot of those same challenges. And the good news? She's not done shattering the glass ceiling just yet. Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from For All Secure. It's about challenging our expectations about the people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Famosi, and in this episode, I'm tackling the difficult issue of diversity, equality, and inclusion in information security. And I'm doing so with one of the industry's most successful examples. I hope you'll stick around. My guest this episode is a venture capitalist. But before you end the podcast early, stick around. I'm not talking about some white male with a Ferrari and a pool in Menlo Park. Rather, my guest is an amazing person who has done an amazing number of things in a relatively short amount of time. And she continues to amaze me even today. I'm Chen Si Wang. I'm the founder and general partner of uh, Rain Capital. Uh, which is a cyber-focused venture fund based in the Silicon Valley. A cyber-focused venture firm based in Silicon Valley, that sounds kind of generic. I mean, you can drive down Sand Hill Road in Menlo Park and see all the VCs lined up along the road. Rain Capital is a bit different. For one thing, it's based in San Francisco. Rain Capital, as I said, is a cyber-focused venture fund. We invest in early-stage companies, startups, uh, really in cyber, in modern infrastructure and dev tools. Um, so I'm the founder of the investment firm, which um, now is on our fund too. Uh, we funded about 12 uh well, actually more than 12 now, 15 companies across the two funds. And we have uh, almost $100 million under management. Um, we are uh, what you would say a sector specialist. Um, so we focused on the three sectors with cyber as a primary focus. And we help entrepreneurs from uh, seed to take 
the product to market and and raise the next round, uh, two rounds of capital. So that's what we do. So Chen Chi's career path really is worth talking about. She was born and raised in China, and she came to the United States to study at Lock Haven University in Pennsylvania. They had a computer science major.、Um, it was a, a, a small department, but they did have that major.、Um, and I always wanted to be in technology, right? Computer science being the、um, the choice, but I could very easily do elect, you know, electrical engineering or any other engineering、uh, discipline. The reason I ended up in a, a liberal arts college was that.、Um, You know, being from China, I need a scholarship to to be able to afford the、uh, the tuition in in the U.S.、Um, in the U.S. institution, and、uh, Lock Haven University、um, is the name of the college. They gave me a scholarship which covered my、uh, um, covered a hundred percent of the tuition, and the reason they're able to do that is they had a a grant from NSF. Uh, which is designed to bring in、um, international students to enrich their campus culture,、um, and so they they run some kind of contest. I think in China for for that they had a quota to bring one Chinese student, one Indian student, and a few others from Europe. And so I won the contest、um, somehow, and、uh, so I was able to come to the U.S. because of that. She did her undergrad at the university and then went to Virginia Tech for her PhD, and it was somewhere around this time that she developed something now known as Chenchification, which she insists was not her term. Rather, Christian Kohlberg is credited with the term. Anyway, what Chenchification does in practicality is it frustrates computer malware's ability to locate and extract an application's decryption key. Chenchification removes the control flow structure of functions. It put each basic block as a case inside a switch statement, and then wraps that switch inside an infinite loop. The algorithm allows programmers to create several decoy keys that are indistinguishable from the real one, with each one set to trigger an alarm in case of an attempted breach. To this day, the U.S. Department of Defense still uses chenchification to protect mobile applications. Wow! To have someone name a process after you while you're in your twenties—that's pretty cool. Chenchi then applied for and became a professor of computer engineering at Carnegie Mellon University, where she continued to teach for about six years. This was around the time that Scilab came into existence at CMU, but by then Chenchi was drawn. Elsewhere, I left Carnegie Mellon to try my hands at a startup.、Um, so I joined、uh, a very small startup called KSR at the time, and、um, that we were trying to do security as service.、Um, back in that was 2006, was way too early for the market,、um, and so it was interesting learning experience. And after that, I joined Forrester because.、Uh, My husband、um, and I moved out to the West Coast, and he was recruited by Google. He was also CMU professor and recruited by Google, and so we wanted to stay on the West Coast, and we decided to both leave academia. And Forrester was uh, uh, recruiting at that time, and my skill set and what they were looking for、uh, was a good fit. After a while, she left the startup world, and she became an analyst with Forrester. 
So um, it was a pretty early, um, not early, but it was a security practice, but it was a small team at the time when I joined. So I think uh, that team um, as um, with me and a few other analysts, we really built up the, the Forrester's security practice coverage. Um, now the team's quite big. After Forrester, she went on to work for Intel, which at the time had purchased McAfee. Yeah, I was recruited by McAfee, Intel Security at, at that time. Right? So they wanted someone to help them do um, essentially strategy with the, with the lens of market research and, and customer intelligence. Um, so they wanted someone who had that background of looking macro trends of the industry um, and who can do strategic analysis and and uh, uh, strategy planning. So I was uh, I was recruited for that from Forrester. At this point, this would be a highly successful career for anyone. A PhD in computer engineering, inventor of a process that's still used by the DOD today, a successful teaching career at CMU, a role as security analyst at Forrester, and then a role at Intel McAfee. This would be a dream come true for many Yet, Chen Shi, she wasn't done. In fact, her next act might arguably have been the one that made a name for her. Depending on what you meant by success, right? So uh, Forrester is a, a interesting place, but you wouldn't say that the work at Forrester, uh, if you were an analyst, the work at Forrester you did was probably known through your client base, but not necessarily known throughout industry uh, because analyst firms tend to be a little bit closed off, right? Um, the uh, Twistlock was a, a, a company I joined after Intel Security. It was a startup. Um, and I was very early um, as an executive in the company and helped them doing go-to-market. And, and that company was a success story. Uh, we sold the company to Palo Alto Networks, uh, I think, you know, less than four years from its founding uh, uh, date, which is a very interesting growth story, obviously. Um, so that's, I would say, one part of being one one kind of success, right? <laughs> and um, and that gave me a different set of experience than academia and Forrester, and as well as uh, Intel, right? So, um, but you were right that my my career uh, took me to many different. Uh, uh, roles and so that um, I actually really enjoyed it because gave me very different perspectives on, on different things. At least I first remember meeting her as an early evangelist for cloud container security after she joined the startup as its CSO. At, at, at Twistlock, I was actually chief strategy officer and I ran some of the, I ran marketing, I ran the, some of the pre-sale um, operation support. So the, you know, essentially a lot of the pre-sale stuff. Chenji eventually left Twistlock and she went independent. She formed her own consulting firm. A Jane Bond initiative was my the, the name of my consulting practice uh, and that was before I formed Irene Capital. Um, so Jane Bond as an as entity no longer exists uh, but as a spirit it lives on right. Um, so I also have recently launched a nonprofit called, called the Forte Group um, I shouldn't say I launched. I, along with a number of um, 
InfoSec uh, women leaders launched the nonprofit. And we have about 85 uh, cyber and high-tech leaders in the group. Um, and it is a networking and support group for senior women in cyber and technology. Um, so this is an advocacy group that we help each other um, work through career challenges and share uh, opportunities and help each other grow. And so I think the spirit of Jane Bong lives on uh, through different uh, manifestation. And I really like the name, but I'm just curious, why Jane Bong? So I was thinking, what are the character characteristics of the practice, my own practice I wanted to be? And obviously I like the James Bond um, uh, um, model, but you know, I, that's a man. Um, and uh, so what is the equivalent of that? And, and then Jane Bond came to, came to existence, I guess. So Jane Bond is an important metaphor to keep in mind as we continue. To succeed in a tech world as a woman, as a person of color, you have to be crafty like Bond. You have to be tough as nails as well. So around 2014, Chen Shi authored a blog, which was very important in the industry, in my opinion. At that point, RSA had reached a point where its exhibition hall was massive. And for individual companies to get attention, well, they were doing more and more outlandish things. So that year, there were booth babes and such. While this is common at gamer conventions and even at CES, having scantily clad women bending over sleek red sports cars, as I remember it, was really over the top for information security. I mean, what does any of that have to do with nation-state actors? So I asked Chen Shi, how did she feel about speaking out about something that was at once so obvious and yet, in some ways, being tolerated? You know, now it's like eight years later, um, you know, looking back, uh, was an interesting, interesting time for the industry, right? So my friend Zenobia, who co-authored the blog with me, she and I walked uh, around on the show floor and we both felt very... Um, I don't know what the word was kind of we were offended we were a little bit taken by surprise in the sense that 2014 we were talking a lot the industry was talking about nation state threats you know very serious topics with gravitas right those kind of topics yet many companies were using scantily clad women to to promote their products and to us were just know so grating right it's just not the right image that 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 provokes trust um so she and i were talking and we were like you know we gotta say something and this is not a topic that that everybody would pick up on because you know their their considerations of where you are in the industry do you really want to pick that fight and but we felt really strongly about it uh, so we wrote a blog and I think we were, I remember staying up late night and writing it and we were like both felt really passionate about it. 
I like to think that the information security community is a bit ahead of society itself, in that we're actively trying to be more inclusive. At least, we're having honest conversations about it. But at the time, in 2014, Chenchi was on her own. And I think if you read that blog today, you can feel the words that we used. We were really like felt very uh, personal. It was personal to us, right? And uh, that blog, I think, when you know, is in terms of industry viral. It was industry viral. A lot of people read it, and was then I think read to the RSA organizing committee, and uh, it went from there. And uh, I think that had uh, was one of the the uh, uh, factors uh, which led to the change of code of conduct, right? Um, and I was very proud that that we had something to do with it. And uh, and I'm, many years later, people still talk about it. So I, I'm, I'm very proud of that we were able to like step up and say something. And uh, which, you know, in, in some ways, it kind of gave me the confidence that if you really want something to be done, you do it. Right? You don't, you know, wait for it to happen. You take the initiative and do it, uh, which in some ways led to me founding my fund and all that stuff. <laughs> so sometimes speaking up is a double-edged sword. If you don't speak up, you get ignored. But sometimes if you do speak up, you get harassed. And sometimes you even get marginalized. So... It takes a few leaders to emerge, to pave the way for others to follow, to start to change an entire industry. So I, I think if you talk to women leaders my age, um, similar my age uh, in my generation, a lot of us, uh, at least early on in our careers, we were one of the few in the room or the only one in the room. Um, and it, it took certain kind of personality to persevere, right? Because um, a lot of us were um, somewhat uh, um, assertive. Uh, we were not afraid of being the only one in the room. Uh, I remember I went to interview at CMU. The first meeting I had, I walk into a, a, a conference room. It was a huge table. It was 12 men sitting around the table. And I, I was the only one, you know, in the room who's female and giving a talk and being assessed. Um, it didn't phase me at all because that, that's how I am. But not everyone is like that. And that's not just a male-female thing, right? So if you are, you know, if you're a certain profile, you walk into an environment with everybody else look the same, but in a very different profile, you may feel a little bit um, unsettled as well, right? And so um, uh, bringing back to your point is that uh, many of us have that personality, but what we want the industry to do is uh, doing the uh, diversity, uh, uh, D and I work so that everybody will, will get the opportunity, not just those of us who are, you know, maybe more aggressive or assertive. Right. So that's the that's the future we want. So given that was eight years ago, I'm wondering how Genshi feels about conferences today. Are they being more inclusive? I know there was a period when several InfoSec people, myself included, would not speak on panels unless there was diversity represented in said panel. I think in general, it has gotten a lot better. 
Um, if you look at the average statistics of uh, um, conference attendees and speakers, and also I think RSA has put in a lot of effort in getting um, uh, female keynoters on stage. And uh, I think it's has gotten a lot better. There's still pockets of things, you know, occasionally we, uh, I'm in this uh, Slack channel, we have 80 some uh, women uh, leaders, security leaders, and occasionally someone will post to say, hey, I'm, I'm at this conference and look at the speaker list and it's like 50 men and one woman, right? It, it still does happen sometimes, but I would say it's in the minority. And again, there are always ways to address that, like not being on a panel, not giving a keynote speech. I think we, uh, a lot of us are pushing, but it's, it's not necessarily everybody uh, takes that up as a practice, uh, which I think we should do it more. Um, and, but, but it's, I think the conference organizers really need to recognize, you know, it's, it's kind of jarring these days if you go to a, a conference and, and you see the speaker list and they all look the same or they look one gender. Um, somebody should have taken a look at this and say, hey, something's wrong here, right? So we, uh, you know, you should have been shift left, <laughs> I would say, right? You know, in, in the beginning, you should have done your, your homework better. Um, and I, I think, you know, this, it is changing, it is slowly changing, and there are more of us making noise. Um, so the, to take a stand definitely helps. And, and for, especially for folks who are more high profile in the industry, you should take a stand. You, you need to make, make a statement and need to work, make the um, uh, event organizers know your position on this. So at this point in her life, Chenxi put all of her efforts into practice. She founded Rain Capital, a 100% woman-owned venture capital fund dedicated to information security startups. It is easy to be 100% female when you're the only person. <laughs> um, so I would say uh, we are 100% women uh, founded and women managed. So I do have folks working for me who's not really in the management. Uh, so in the fund structure, you have to be, you know, there's a specific thing means being in the management rank and, and it's different than, than a, a, a operating company. So in the management company, which is the entity that manages the fund, it's a hundred percent women. Yes. A fund that is founded by a woman and managed by women is a rarity in Silicon Valley. Rain Capital funds information security startups. I had heard that one way to get ahead as a person of color or a woman is to start your own company. However, Chenchi makes the case for going with an established company. I don't have any data really in front of me to suggest one way or another. Um, I would say startup has a slightly different set of challenges than, than established companies um, because startups are being, uh, you know, their feet being pushed to the fire uh, to generate, um, you know, hit the next milestones and deliver products. Uh, so they tend to be um, 
laser focused on one as or on a small set of aspects of running the business. So they may have challenges in, you know, sort of accommodating other parts of operations. And, and they also are kind of very uh, sort of resource challenged, right? Um, and at the same time, the larger companies, established companies may have more governance um, processes and, and uh, procedures, uh, which will allow them to do more things that are, are in the DEI space. Um, so that that could happen and the opposite could happen as well. So it's, um, I don't, the short answer is, I don't have any data to suggest one way or another. Uh, I do know that uh, they are startups are very conscientious about uh, diversity and inclusion. Uh, they are large companies also very being very conscientious. So I just don't know, statistically speaking, you know, which category is better. Maybe it's just me, but when I'm at Black Hat or RSAC or any InfoSec conference, I do notice how many women are in the room, how many people of color are in the room. And I have to say, while it's not great, it's gotten much better over the years. But in leadership, well, that hasn't changed too much. And it probably should. Uh, in leadership roles, uh, I don't know. The I think the overall percentage of women in cyber um, InfoSec is like 22%. Uh, yeah, uh, so it has gotten better, but in the leadership is a lot less, but I don't know the number. Again, I'm wondering if the problem starts early, if there just aren't enough women in computer engineering programs or computer sciences in general. I think, uh, you know, women are less represented in, in computer science career path. That's, uh, that is a trend um, and um, we actually seen, I think that the, the industry trend from like the eighties to now is actually de-accelerating, may, may even be decreasing in terms of the number of participants that, that are female in, in CS, which is, there are a lot of articles written about it. Um, and um, uh, hence, you know, trickling down, <laughs> going into any kind of CS related field, uh, you'll see less women um, and security included. And I would say security even has a, has a particular problem because it's it the image is it's hyper technical hyper specifically technical right so you have to like of not just general computer science skills but has to have the hacking skills which most student most schools don't even teach you right. um, and uh, I think a lot of uh, um, if you're not already you know sort of uh, operating in that industry it's difficult for someone to say hey you know i'm gonna pick up that those set of skills on my own and let alone being a woman you know who's a, who's minority anyway in the tech field entry-level interest in computer often starts with gaming and that's typically a male realm and gaming sometimes leads to interest in hacking and because that's not there for women per se perhaps women don't always see their role as being a hacker someday. And if you want to see an example of that, episode two of The Hacker Mine, I interview Zerada, who won several DEF CON Capture the Flags. I would say hacking 
potentially doesn't have the the there are there are things that um you know I'm trying to find the right way of explaining it so it doesn't sound uh, uh, patronizing. Um, so I think a certain set of population, myself included, uh, sometimes we're inspired by things have like direct social implication, right? And uh, sometimes it's hard to see hacking being that, right? Uh, it's not to say hacking is not, but I think as an industry, we haven't really tied hacking skills with positive social implications. Um, so to give an example, right, we have computer security, it can really, InfoSec can really protect individual in, in, uh, citizens from fraud and from other things, but those stories are not necessarily front page um, you know, the stories, things we hear about is breach, hacking, you know, somebody took, you know, 3 million, um, uh, however many million uh, user IDs and passwords. And, and you know, it's not necessarily a, a role or an image that everyone wants to be associated with. Right? So I think there's image problem for the industry that we need to fix. One of the things I'm trying to do with the hacker mind is expose the other side of hacking, which means really just taking things apart and learning about technology. It's not always criminal hacking. So yeah, kind of sounds like, you know, there's just not a lot of visible role models out there for young women. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, positive uh, role models, uh, role models that, that you can um, personally relate to are really important for someone who are uh, just starting out in their career or thinking about which career path to take. Um, so as an industry, I, I don't think we've done as good of a job uh, in showing that there are many different faces of InfoSec. One of the best ways that Black Hat and RSAC have moved toward diversity and inclusion is to sponsor scholarships to their conferences. Yeah, and that I think, um, you know, both RSA and, and um, um, Black Hat are, you know, doing the, a decent job. Um, you know, they gave scholarships. Black Hat in, in particular have many like uh, nonprofit organization uh, will send women and underrepresented uh, uh, attendees to the conference and and hack, uh, um, DEFCON as well. Uh, so they give scholarships and they they uh, work with nonprofit organizations to give scholarships. So I'm aware of many of those different uh, uh, scholarship programs that draw diverse attendees to the conference. And they also work with other organizations. In episode 14 of the Hacker Mind, I talked with Tanisha Martin, founder of Black Girls Hack. Of course, the organization, it's for everybody, but the name drives home the inclusive nature of the organization. And there's also the Diana Initiative. And there are other efforts, such as the Grace Hopper Recognition Awards. Grace Hopper is a, is a great uh, you know, venue. Um, the Diana Initiative, obviously, is in the security industry. There's an organization called WISP, Women in Security and Privacy. Um, they routine, Every year, they sponsor many scholarships to Black Hat and DEF CON, I think about 40, 50 on the order of every year or so. 
very, very good programs. So Chen Shi founded Rain Capital, and her investments, well, they're not limited to women-funded companies. She's funding anything in the security industry that feels like it will be successful one day. That means she's following the trends. You know, there's a difference between, you know, um, a com- forming a company and technology trends, right? So I'm excited about technology trends and, um, and, and extracting from that. They are companies that I'm very excited about because they speak to part of that technology trend, right? Um, so um, I would say uh, it, the the um, the whole movement to to cloud to DevSecOps uh, or to DevOps in general, you know, cloud engineering, platform engineering has really changed the technology landscape and hence changed the tech stack of many companies. Um, And anytime there's a a change uh, or a significant change in tech stack, it is an opportunity for InfoSec Um, because the the old guards, the old technology doesn't work on this new stack. So you need new, new form factors, new algorithms, new way of looking at things and, and defending against new threats. And the, those are all opportunities. Um, the, uh, so we have, for instance, a company called Stanza, um, which is a, a very new company that we uh, invested in. Uh, they are in the cyber reliability engineering space. Um, so it's a, a fairly new concept that came out of Google and, and Microsoft and Facebook for those companies that run large cloud infrastructure. And need, they need automatic ways to ensure their infrastructure is up and running, right? Um, and, you know, those people run like millions of workloads a second. You know, there's no way you can do manual management of your infrastructure. Uh, and hence, they've they built infrastructure to manage the infrastructure, right? Um, and so, and that part of capability um, doesn't exist in smaller companies or in the greater part of, uh, of uh, industry. So there's an opportunity to take those practices that that found just so readily available in Google and Facebook and Twitter and those companies uh, and make it into product and services for um, the greater market, and and this is what Stanza does. Um, so I find that super interesting, right? I, I go to a tech talk by you know some of the cutting edge companies in um, Silicon Valley, and I get inspired by listening to how they solve problems in the in a whole new way. And then uh, in the drive home, I might think about how do we take that approach and make it into a product or a repeatable engine that can help others, right? So that's a, that's the part about being an investor or at least a, er, someone who works with early stage companies that is so intoxicating to me is I get to see the emergence of new tech trends and emergence of new products that come out. So given her background, I'm wondering if it's fair to say that these companies that she's invested in are in some way related to the cloud, or if there are other trends that she sees emerging. 
there are certainly other trends we're, we're tracking. I would say cloud is, is a, a larger direction. It certainly has um, provided many, many in, uh, innovation opportunities. Um, another example that's outside of cloud um, that is also very successful, very interesting, is I have another company called Clarity, which is in the OT security space, right? Operational technology, which is... Um, uh, which are physical system controls, right? Oil and gas, uh, manufacturing plants, and uh, healthcare systems. Um, and those systems are very different than cloud. It's in the, you don't run virtual machines on them. You just, you know, these are physical MRI machines, physical you know, controllers that probably still run, some of them still run Windows and T. <laughs> Right, and full of vulnerabilities, and and you would you would know very well um, coming from an AppSec company, and the innovation there is um, some of those devices are really old, but you're not taking them out and replace them with cloud because it's just not doable because that's the physical constraint of the system you have to live with, right, and also those machines you can't those controllers you can't run the agent on it either. And you don't put CrowdStrike all over uh, these old devices because just not you can't run them, uh, an agent on them. So what do you do to secure them? You get into the network. Or you look at traffic because the, the the network switches and routers might still be something you can run an agent on, or you can passively sniff traffic, right? But uh, even then, you have to take the traffic and reverse engineer into something you understand because the protocols that run in those environments could be very archaic as well. Um, and that's why Clarity is interesting because they have done a lot of work of understanding lower level protocols that uh, you know, a Siemens controller is talking to a different device and what language do they speak and what data they send back and forth. And knowing that will allow you to detect threats and understand anomalies and, and then react, right? So Clarity is one of those companies and they are, um, I invested in them in 2018. They are huge now. They are one of the largest companies in this space and very proud of their success. Again, what other trends might Chenchi be seeing? I think a topic that everybody's talking about is a generative AI, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, and how that how that is related to security, or how that can be secured, or what are the additional risks it, it introduces. Um, I think it's a really a set of really interesting topics. Um, you know, do you trust the output of chat? Uh, a GPT and how do you test if the output is correct? It's one thing to say, write me an essay, right? It's another thing to say, hey, you know, what are the historical record of certain things, right? Things that need accuracy uh, or things that could lead to a predictive outcome that you need accurate information for. How do you test the accuracy? How do you establish trust? with that kind of generative capabilities. Uh, those are all interesting questions to explore and potentially has um, opportunities for security. Um, but there are also really interesting generative uh, questions to ask. Like for instance, uh, 
um, in the incident response uh, world or in the SOC world, uh, if you see these three events that may point to the next event or point to the outcome that there's a breach, right? Can you ask ChatGPT that question versus have a SOC analyst do that analysis? Potentially, right? And and so, but what kind of data do you need to feed to, to ChatGPT to get that happen? Because um, a, a generative AI uh, engine like ChatGPT today works only on public data. And so if you want to want it to make InfoSec decisions, maybe it has to be trained on private data and other incident data and how do you get those things. It's all a very interesting question. So given that ChatGPT and AI is relatively new in the industry, I'm wondering though, are there any companies that are coming forward that are presenting themselves? Well, lots of startups are thinking about it, um, and uh, I'm I'm also thinking about it. I haven't made a, a, an investment yet, but I'm very interested in that space. I'd really like to thank Chen Chi Wang for taking the time out of her day to talk about her amazing life and the work she continues to do today. Before starting The Hacker Mind, I did other podcasts over the years. I'm not new to this. And a quick search will reveal that I've actually talked to Chen Chi a number of times on a number of different podcasts over the years. In all, she's been very gracious with her time. And that's just who she is. So I look forward to talking to her again soon and learning what amazing new stuff she's into at that time. And I look forward to sharing that future conversation with you as well. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast tell a friend. I bet there are others who like commercial-free narrative infosec podcasts. I have so many stories about hackers who are making a positive difference in the world. And be sure to check out Error Code, my new podcast that focuses on IoT and embedded security. Error Code is available now wherever you get your podcasts. Let's keep this conversation going. DM me at robertvamosi at infosec.exchange on Mastodon or at robertvamosi on Twitter. And tell me what you like and even what you don't. The Hacker Mind is brought to you commercial-free by For All Secure. For The Hacker Mind, I'm Robert Famosi.